Well, once again, welcome everyone. Make sure this is on. Is that good? All right. Once again, welcome everyone. Welcome to Christ Central Church. And once again, greetings to those participating online. And uh, that was a great announcement from Rebecca and Jessica. And now I have a conflicting song from the 80s and worthy of it all. But the worthy of it all is going to come through, okay? So that is good. And uh, just as we get started, to say Mark and Debbie Rushworth are with our friends at Christ Community Church in Charlottetown this weekend. So it's great to be in partnership with them. And uh, my name is Joe Crummy, so I'm going to be speaking this morning. And yesterday, Saturday, May 6, 2023, something happened in the world that hadn't occurred in over 70 plus years. Does anyone know what happened yesterday? I want to be able to say sometime something happened for the first time since 1967, but I'm not going to go there with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm going to stick with, that's right, the coronation of King Charles III, a new king. How many people watched that yesterday? We got a few people. We won't take the percentages of who was born in England who watched that um, yesterday. But some people were dedicated at Kids Club, and what can I say? All right. So a quick, that's right, you could have caught it 12 hours later. It was still going. All right. So question for you. How did Charles become king? Was he on the amazing race, and there were 10 people going for to be king and he outlasted all the other ones was it survivor king and he did it was a skills competition was it a lottery was it some sort of competition how did charles become king yesterday we got inheritance heritage that's it there was a line a lineage a royalty a descendant a history a succession that's how Charles became king. It wasn't out of a lottery or a skills test or anything like that. And part of the ceremony was that Charles was, well, actually, we, we trust it happened. We couldn't actually see it. That Charles was anointed with oil. Oil, I believe, all the way back from the 12th century. And they put this kind of box around him so that we couldn't see it. So we trust it happened. To recognize that he was chosen and that symbol of authority and it became official, and as they placed the crown on his head, there was a rule and a reign and a kingdom for Charles. Now here's the question I have for you, and please don't get, um, this is not a political thing, so don't tell me if you want to get rid of the royalty or you want to keep the royalty. That's not where we're going here this morning. A legitimate question. How does Charles being king impact your everyday life? When it gets to money, <laughs> we'll see if it affects us or not. But in all seriousness, now there are some different hierarching things. But for most people, it doesn't really affect their everyday life. 
Now, here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, part of the title that we follow in Jesus, we say Jesus Christ, don't we? Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed one. Did you realize that? That the Christ is Greek, Messiah is Hebrew, both mean the anointed one. So every time we're saying the name of Jesus and we say we're following Jesus Christ, we're saying, whether we know it or not, we're saying we're following Jesus, the anointed one. We're following the Christ. We're following the Messiah. And as we've been going through this whole series of beholding Jesus, we're saying, Jesus, we're going to fix our eyes on you. We're going to behold you despite all the chaos in the world and despite all the things that are going on and all the difficulties and trials and tribulations, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to behold you and we're going to, you're our compass, you're our everything and we're going to fix our eyes on you. And this morning we're going to briefly take a look at Jesus is the anointed one. And unlike Charles, I'm hoping and believing by the end of this message that Jesus as the anointed one impacts every aspect of your life as followers of Jesus, that the anointed one actually makes a difference in every part of our lives. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go through just a quick history of anointing in the Old Testament, and we're going to take my oil that's in my nice pampered chef um, thing, and this is going to symbolize pouring out some oil from the Old Testament. So here we go. So this is just a brief history, and you're going to follow along, and I have some um, scriptures we're going to read along the way. But folks, it's really important. Like, don't miss out. This is really important. If we're following Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, and I were to survey every one of you and say, hey, do you know what Jesus as the anointed one means? Does that impact your life? I'm not sure many of us would go, yes, here, here are all the tangible ways that affects my life. Well, hopefully in the next few minutes you can see and we can have an answer, not just a theological answer, but actually an answer that comes in to demonstrate every aspect of our lives. So here's just a quick history of anointing the Old Testament. And again, the background is God picked Abraham because God's sovereign and said, I'm going to have a nation. I want a people for myself. And out of that, we had this whole thing of leaders and we have Moses and Joshua and we go through the prophets and the judges. And to be honest, most of the leaders aren't very good. That's the bottom line. At the end of Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it just says this, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he, she saw fit. That was the summary, and it wasn't good. Because God's supposed to be the leader, but the people wanted a king to be a leader, just like in the other nations, and God's saying, I'm giving you many warnings. You don't really want a king, but he said, if you want a king, I'm going to give you a king. So God gives him a king, and can anyone remember who the first king was? Don't look at the slide. I gave you, I was an easy one, wasn't it? All right. Saul, and we read this. So if we can go to the scripture, this is 1 Samuel 10, verses 1 and 10. At the top here, this is what we read. Then Samuel, who was the prophet, took a flask of oil. Didn't quite look like my nice false graph um, pouring here, but that's going to symbolize it. Took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? And this is what happened. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. So he, Samuel said, God said to Samuel, 
Saul's going to come. You're going to anoint oil. He's going to join the prophets. He's going to be king. And this is what happened. Saul anointed it, or Saul was anointed. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he was with company of prophets prophesying spiritual gifts. And they're like, "Isn't is Saul among the prophets?" There was a change. There was oil. There was anointing. There was the Holy Spirit. There was change. There was power. There were gifts. There was authority. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. So just a few chapters later, Saul sins. He disobeys God. Saul says, oh, I re rejects him. And God, what does God do? God chooses David, a man after his own heart. And we read this. Next slide. Or next one on that slide. 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. That's David. In the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. What do we have? Oil, anointing, Holy Spirit, change, power, gifts, authority. And David was a man after God's own heart. And he was a worshiper and he served God and he was a great king. Now here's the amazing thing. David actually fulfilled what was prophesied all the way back in the book of Genesis. This is amazing. This is where the Bible is so amazing. Like God just connects the dots and hundreds of years later, like things happen and you go, wow. You can't make this stuff up, folks. David fulfilled what was all the way back in Genesis 49.10. So you remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, 12 sons. One of them was named Judah. And before Jacob dies, he blesses all 12 sons. And he prophesies, he speaks out. And this is what we read about Jacob blessing Judah. Genesis 49.10. The scepter, that's the kingship, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Wow. That's a weighty prophecy. You just think about hundreds of years earlier, Jacob blessing his sons comes to Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. It's prophesying from the line of Judah will come a king, a scepter. Who is all this pointing to? Jesus. And then David prays to God, and David's like going, you know what? I live in a palace. God's living in a tent. This is not good. And he says, God, I want to build you a palace. And God replies to the prophet Nathan, and he says, great idea, but you're not going to do it. He says, but you're going to have a son who is going to build. And there's all these promises. And we read this in 2 Samuel 7, verses 10 to 13. And this is what God says to David. David prays to God, and this is God's answer. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. <sighs> David's son, we know, was Solomon. And Solomon built the temple and the glory of God filled the temple. And these promises came to not only David, but they came to Solomon as well. And God's saying, I'm going to establish your throne, your kingdom forever. 
And Solomon builds and dedicates the temple of God. And again, Solomon prays to God, and God speaks. 1 Kings 9, 5. Again, this is on the slide. God says this, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I have promised David, your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a son or a successor, depending on the translation, on the throne of Israel. Therefore, a kingly line through the tribe of Judah. Wow. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, blesses Judah. Hundreds of years go by. David, anointed king, promises to David and to Solomon from the line of Judah, and now from the line of David going forth, you're going to have a king. And we have those prophetic words that come through Isaiah that we read at Christmas time. Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And hundreds of years later, you've got to remember, folks, from Malachi to the book of Matthew, there's 400 years of silence. Like, again, I just can't believe, and I'm honestly, selfishly, I'm thankful to God I live in the era we live in. I can't imagine 400 years of just silence from God. But then suddenly, in the book of Matthew, how does the book of Matthew start? I mean, it's kind of a weird beginning, isn't it? Matthew starts like this. Chapter, verse 1 of Matthew. So 400 years, and then this is where we kind of pick up the story. Where does Matthew start? Do we have this one? This is the genealogy. And you say, wait, wait, time out right there. Like, this is before and Ancestry.ca or whatever. Like, this is before, like, what are we doing starting with a genealogy? What's so important? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, the son of David. And he goes through, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We don't have time to read it all. Abraham was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And then we go along, and there's another Jacob, and we pick up this all the way through, and it says this, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the... Messiah, the anointed one. So if you understand the big picture, it's really, 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 really important. If Jesus really is going to be the anointed one, that he's just not some random guy that's picked out of a lottery or won a contest or whatever. No, we have to prove and demonstrate he's from the kingly line. His lineage and his descendants, he's the successor. We have to make sure he falls into, is he from the line of Judah? Is he from the line of David? Otherwise, it can't be him. Because those promises can't be fulfilled. And of course, in Jesus' day and 2,000 later, years later in our day, what was the debate and the discussion about Jesus most of all? He was doing miracles. He was, they're like, can anyone teach like this? Can anyone? And everyone's like, yeah, but where's he from? I thought he was the son of Joseph. I thought he was from here. I thought he was from there. And there's all these debates. Why? Because they're trying to figure out if he's the anointed one, he has to follow in this line. Is he the Christ? Is this the son of David? What right does he have to claim that? And so if you understand that context, we're going to pick it up in Luke 4, 
this is a pretty important quote, and things really kind of turned against Jesus at this point. Because Jesus, when we pick up the story, if you read all of Luke 4, Jesus in his own town goes to the synagogue, and they give him the scroll, and he reads from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus reads it, and this is what we read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus does this. He folds up the scroll and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they all reacted. Who gives you the right to say, like, they're just like, they're ready to kill him. Because that's blasphemy. Either it's all true or he's deadly wrong. Can you imagine? But what's the point? He's saying, the spirit of the sovereign is upon me because he has anointed me. I am the anointed one. At Jesus' baptism, Luke 3, 21 to 22, as Jesus was being baptized, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And the Father affirms Jesus is his beloved son. And as his beloved son, he is the anointed one. Now folks, what have I been trying to drill into us these last two years? And Mark's been doing it through the book of Ephesians. We've been trying to drill in what our identity is. And remember we did that whole teaching on identity over a year ago, and we talked about how culture has changed, and before culture identity was formed from more of an external but now our culture today our culture today is internal you get to decide your identity so you can understand why we've got a lot of issues regarding identity because we've given all the power to each of us individually and depending upon how we feel and what we think we get to decide our identity and we're saying and Mark talked about this last week from Ephesians how we don't view the world in the same way, when we become followers of Christ, what we're saying is, my identity, I'm relinquishing my right that I think I have to pick my identity. I'm saying now, my identity is I'm in Christ. My identity is Jesus. That's what we're saying. So I'm laying down my rights. We're surrendering. That's part of repentance and following Jesus. And we're saying, who Jesus is, now in Christ, that's my identity. So how many times have I talked about beholding Jesus and then saying, in light of that truth, that affects our identity. So guess what? Jesus is the anointed one. And in Christ, who are we? We are anointed. Because we're in Christ. And our identity then affects our behavior and our purpose. 
You follow how that flows? We're beholding Jesus, and by the revelation of God's word and the Holy Spirit, we're understanding who Jesus is, and in light of that, that's our identity, and in light of that, that determines our purpose and our behavior. And one of the most succinct things in the New Testament, if you want one passage that talks about Jesus as the anointed one, and there's many, but if you want like a one-sentence definition of Jesus as the anointed one in the New Testament, it's Peter in the book of Acts in chapter 10. And Peter's explained to a Roman, Cornelius, so not of the Jewish faith, he's explaining to Cornelius about Jesus. And in one sentence, he says this, Acts 10, 38. Here we go. Er, so the background is, he's explaining to Cornelius, you know, because as a Roman soldier, Jesus caused a lot of chaos in the Roman Empire. So he's saying to, to Cornelius, you know about Jesus. And then he says this, how God anointed, isn't that, in a, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Isn't that like, that's a great verse to memorize. That's a good one to have. What did Jesus do? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus, Son of God, was the anointed one. Now, folks, I'm going to give this as a reminder. We've done this before. Jesus was anointed even though he was fully God. Remember Jesus? Fully God, fully human. Why was he anointed if he was fully God? Well, we talked about this before. Remember Philippians 2? Jesus, even though he was fully God, laid aside. It wasn't that he didn't become God, but he chose not to use the attributes and power of being God when he was here on earth because he was also fully human. And as a fully human, what did he need? He needed the Holy Spirit. That's encouraging for us because we talked about this before. Do you remember when I had Spider-Man up here, my Spider-Man doll? Because this is what we can think of Jesus. We can think, Jesus was Son of God. Of course he did miracles. Of course he did all these things. Because he was God. And we go, but we can't do anything because we're not Jesus. Now, we aren't the one who died on the cross and all, we're not. But the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus and allowed Jesus to do the things for the kingdom of God, it's the same Holy Spirit who anoints us. So Jesus was the anointed one because he didn't use, he was still God, but he didn't use those attributes. Instead, he relied on the Holy Spirit. And what we're saying in our formation is Jesus had to spend time with the Father in order to understand what the Father wanted him to do. Jesus had to recharge his batteries because he was hungry and thirsty and tired out, and he had to get away on a mountain with God, his Father, in order for him to be replenished because he was human and relying on the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, as the anointed one, was empowered and authorized. What did he do? To establish a new kingdom. And in order to establish a new kingdom, that means there was an old kingdom that needs to be overtaken. And who was in control of the old kingdom? The devil. 
goes all the way back with Adam and Eve and sin. Satan usurped authority, and Jesus called him the prince of this world. And Jesus coming on planet Earth was to establish a new kingdom, one of righteousness and peace and joy. And Jesus established this new kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit, by doing good. So you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, goodness, he brought justice and mercy and serving and teaching and loving and caring, compassion. He healed all who were under the power of the devil. So that was healing, physical healing, but also deliverance for those under power of demonic spirits and all kinds of different things. And folks, we kind of, I've done the Joe Crummy peas, you know me, just to kind of help you remember we can kind of categorize some of the things that Jesus in his presence. So there was his presence. Jesus, just by being present, brought, he changed things just by him being there. It was his character. It was the Holy Spirit with him. It was God in him. That his presence just, he walked into places and things changed. It was practical. He fed the 5,000. He served. He cared. He clothed people. Like, there was very practical things. Peter, mother-in-law, was sick, brought healing. He proclaimed good news. He taught truth. He preached. He shared, told parables, told stories. There was power. There was healing and deliverance. Prayed. Folks, those are all the ways as the anointed one that he brought in the kingdom of God. And I find this interesting. And I don't know if you caught this in, from the Old Testament to New Testament. What were the times when Jesus was anointed with oil? Can you think? So we're saying Old Testament, Samuel, Saul, David, other kings, in order for them to become king, they were anointed with oil, and then they went forth. Do you remember, was Jesus ever anointed with oil at the beginning of his ministry? Do we know? It's not a trick question, just... We don't read it, do we? What were maybe... There might be more, but I can think of two. What were two times when Jesus was anointed with oil? Interesting. If you look in the Gospels, Mary came, and if you think the oil alabaster jar, here it was, and everyone got upset because this woman who maybe was of shady character took a very expensive oil and poured it on Jesus to prepare him for his burial. And then when Jesus was did, dead, what did they do? That's when he was anointed. The women came to prepare. Nicodemus came. They took his body. And with oil, they prepared it for burial. Such an upside-down kingdom, isn't it? That when Jesus was anointed with oil to show his authority, who he is, how, when was that? It's when he laid down his life. when he truly, we've just been singing about it all morning, every song pretty much said this. It's when he died on the cross. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God rose him from the dead. He defeated death, Satan, and sin. He didn't do it with a sword. He didn't do it overthrowing a government. He did it by laying down his life. The anointed one was anointed for death, 
And in his death, he was anointed. Folks, that's a sobering, powerful truth. So in closing, what about us, you and I? So I kind of ask you the same question every week. So in life groups, you might get tired of it because, but there's such a battle for our identity. Again, I ask, who, who are we? Who am I? Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Where am I accepted? What's my purpose? How do I be an influencer today? I want my life to count. I want to contribute. Absolutely. But the true sustaining answers to those three questions of identity, belonging, and purpose, folks, they're found in Jesus. He's our anointed one. And when we're in Christ, we're anointed like Jesus. So following Jesus, salvation is this. We turn from the kingdom of darkness, the devil. We turn from our own kingdom. We turn to Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. We say, Jesus, you're the one I'm going to follow. And we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says we receive sonship and adoption and acceptance. So I did a whole message on Jesus as the son of God. And in light of that, we're sons of God. We're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. We're empowered for purpose. He puts us into a family where we belong and are accepted. And we're anointed to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus individually and together. And it was so great, the stories that just came through in worship. Isn't that encouraging? Like, that's the kingdom of God, family working together and seeing the kingdom of God established today. And folks, that's what we're, that's our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify Jesus. How do we glorify Jesus? By him using us as a church to bring the main vehicle for his kingdom to come on earth. And we'll pick this up in two weeks' time. How do we do that? It's through our presence, our character, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Just wherever we are in whatever setting we're in should, should bring the kingdom of God. It's very practical. There's good deeds. We can serve. We can love. We can feed the hungry. We can clothe. We can pray for the sick. We can proclaim. We can share. We can preach. We can teach. We can explain. And all proclaiming isn't just preaching like we're doing today. It's you sharing. It's Warren saying, hey, I've got my God story, and I'm just going to share it with you to encourage you. It's Kayla coming and sharing, hey, this is what God's done in my life. Folks, that's proclaiming good news. There's power, yes. There's healings. There's deliverance. There's spiritual gifts. There's prayer. And that's probably one of the most important ways that most people don't see. We're asking God, let your kingdom come. So folks, just in closing, it's really important today to realize we can say Jesus is the anointed one. We can say Charles is the king. But it doesn't really make that much difference. We can say Jesus is the anointed one. We say it all the time. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, the anointed one. But we can go, oh, it doesn't really make much difference in my life. Folks, it should make every difference every day. That's our identity. We're anointed now in Christ to preach good news, to proclaim good news. 
to go about being and doing the things of Jesus. That's our purpose. And that gets worked out in every vocation and family life wherever God sends us. Our identity affects our purpose. And folks, it's an adventure. It's a battle. It's difficult. You'll get opposition. Big time. In so many different ways. But Jesus, as we just sang, was a son of suffering. Blood and tears. But he's with us. He's been through it. And as we talked about before, he's our great high priest interceding, praying for us. And he's sympathetic because he's been through it. So we've been proclaiming Jesus is the anointed one, and we believe Jesus demonstrates he's the anointed one. So we're going to pray, and we're going to ask for God's kingdom to come, and we're going to pray for healing this morning. We're going to pray for release. We're going to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and why don't we stand? And we've already heard testimonies, stories this morning of God's healing. So we're going to pray for more healing. I hope faith, did faith kind of get stirred? Kayla's sharing that. Warren. Gabby's sharing. Hey, we don't want to be alone. We want to be together. We're proclaiming, but then we're asking and saying, God, we want you to demonstrate your kingdom. Jesus taught, he proclaimed, and he demonstrated. So Lord Jesus, just as we, we take you at your word that you're the anointed one, that you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, and that we've put our hope and trust in you. And Lord, now our identity as Christ followers is you've anointed us with the Holy Spirit to go about doing good and to bring healing and to undo the works of the enemy. So Lord, as we worship you, I just ask now, would you come? Lord, would you stir up? Lord, we stir up the spiritual gifts you've given to us, gifts of faith, encouragement, healing, service, words of knowledge, prophecy. God, as we sing and worship now, God, would you stir up the gifts within us? That, Lord, you've given each of us gifts to encourage and to build up the body and to demonstrate that Jesus is alive. Lord, we just want to see life here this morning. So, God, as we come to you, Lord, we know you give good gifts. Lord, would you come and lead us by your Holy Spirit in these next few minutes? We pray in Jesus' name. So let's worship God, and then we'll give opportunity for us to pray and to serve one another here this morning.